This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. Now, here are your hosts, John Booker and Jeremy Casper. Welcome to the Inside Out Story. I'm John Booker, and I'm interested in why we tell stories. And I'm Jeremy Casper, and I am interested in the how we tell stories. Today, we're really excited to have with us uh, a guest who has a really interesting career in the industry. Uh, Troy Devald is with us. He is the author of Reality TV, TV's uh, Hottest Market, um, a new book out from Michael Weesey Productions. And uh, Troy, welcome to the show. It is lovely to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Troy, um, tell us a little bit about kind of uh, how you became involved in the industry and kind of what your journey was like. Uh, I get the impression you did not, um, uh, you know, is an eight-year-old boy say, one day I'm going to be a reality TV producer. I'm guessing your journey was a little more crooked than that. It was <laughs> a lot more crooked than that. <laughs> uh, basically what happened for me is when I was very young, uh, I was really into comic books, like everybody else uh, my age, and I was lucky enough to, you know, be raised in during the glut of black and white comics that were a little more creative and out there in the '80s. And I'd write back and forth to guys, and you know, like Will Eisner would say, "Hey, draw me a page of telephone poles, and God help you if two of them look the same." Like that kind of <laughs> advice. And uh, I was absolutely sure I was going to do comics. Went to art school, thought I was going to do comics, uh, and about a year and a half into art school. I ran into some friends from high school who were producing television commercials, and they were doing Woody Woodpecker's 50th anniversary memorabilia for Universal and the Jefferson Mint. So I wrote a series of six commercials, and I was like, hey, I can write something and see it in a week. Like, maybe television is something I should think about. So because comic books pay so well, <laughs> uh, in the early 90s, after I, after I had left, film sc- or left uh, art school, I enrolled in film school at Full Sail University, mm-hmm. and the only other thing I had really loved as much as comic books was sitcoms. Mm-hmm. So now I'm sure that sitcoms are the way to go. Like, I'm, this is going to be great. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to move to Los Angeles and do sitcoms. Nope. Graduated. Spent four years as an executive assistant at Time Warner. Finally moved out here at 29 years old to take a run at sitcoms. And while I was coming across the country, I checked into a hotel that was so sketchy that I got my keys through a mail slot. Wow. Just a dirty undershirt and a hand who was <laughs> handing me my keys. And I checked into the room, and they were there was a show that was on that night. It was called Fear uh, that was had been done for MTV. And it's a bunch of kids in a paranormal location, which is exactly what you should be watching when you're in a cinder block motel right, right off of I-10 <laughs> in the middle of Nowheresville, Texas. Um, so while I was waiting for Leatherface to show up, uh, I saw uh, someone's name that I knew go by at the end of the show. And I called him the next day. And by the time I got to Los Angeles, not only did I have a place to flop on that futon, uh, but I had an opportunity to work on Fear that he had brought me in. I, I spoke to the to the bosses, and then that was the first reality show I did. So I started it as a logger transcriptionist on that show. Wow. Making an earth-shattering $450 a week. (laughs) Had a 7 to 3 a.m. shift and uh, started coming in at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And a couple of guys that worked there, uh, it was Chris Abrego and Rick Teus, and I think it might have been a producer named Roberto Cardenas who was a line producer there. 
says, why are you always here at four o'clock? And I said, because if I'm not, you're never going to see my face. And they mm. thought it was so funny <laughs> that I cared so much about it <laughs> that they always kind of kept a half an eye on me. And by the end of that first season, I had sort of a lighter, smaller producer position. Wow. Which was the great thing about, you know, just historically, like in 2000, Survivor had just come out. Mm. So it was like stepping into a pneumatic tube. Like they needed people so badly yeah. to produce things that you just went, you know, yeah. you would, you're a producer, you're a supervisor. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, it's just been 16 years in a row of that now. Wow. You know, it's it's coming up on 30 shows. and So so I think we need to, to bust a bubble for a lot of people here. Go to town. Okay. <laughs> Do you um, want to see my checking account balance? Is that what you're, <laughs> that what you're going no, for? No, no. I, I think... Because um, that'll do it. <laughs> there's a lot of people who believe that reality television, they just turn the cameras on and all this oh, crazy man. stuff just happens. And what an amazing thing. There's no real storytelling you know, that happens. There's no writers. There's no, And so maybe can you talk a little bit about the relationship between reality television and and uh, writing and story and those things. Well, here's something that I really believe. I think the best reality content always mirrors the same structure as traditionally scripted content. Mm -hmm. um, Can there you are just say few... that again? That is so, <laughs> yeah. That's so good. That's well, so you know, good. for the first chapter of my book, the reason it, it opens, it says story is story and story is written, ellipses, sort of. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, when you go out, when you go out to shoot a reality show, uh, you're out there in the field, and you have, you, you know, your outline and your agenda and the things that you would like to have happen. You have ways to sort of get people together. I always say, you know, it's that thing where if I sit you two down and I say, "Hey, could you talk about what happened last Thursday for a little bit, and then kind of how you think that's going to affect you for the next six weeks?" Mm -hmm. It's just planting those little seeds that yeah. grow on their own naturally and get and give you natural interaction. The only time, the only way you can really screw it up is if you start pre-scripting a response. Like, mm -hmm. I'd like for you to be upset about this. I'd like mm -hmm. for you to say this to her. There are producers who do that, but the heavier the hand of the producer gets, the less enjoyable, typically, the show is for mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, there are exceptions where, you know, you ever notice that there are some shows where people are dumb as toast <laughs> on the show, and then in the interviews for the show, they all sound like Niles Crane. <laughs> It's sort of like, please stop you know, telling them, <laughs> giving them these zippy bon mots, you know, out in the swamp and, and seeing how that works out. Uh, well, it, one of the things that Jeremy and I focus on uh, a lot is is the idea of characters. Yeah. And, you know, for any good story, it's pretty important to have characters. And I think we would all agree some of the most interesting characters you could ever dream up appear in real life on reality television. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what sort of characters work in reality television? Well, I'll tell you, I think that uh, the characters that work for me are people who are able to be authentic in front of a camera, which is a funny thing because it seems like a simple, stupid thing. Like, of course, you want people that are natural in front of the camera. Um, but what you want to, what really will drive me crazy is every once in a while you'll get what I, the people that are the self-producers. Mm. And they come in with an agenda, and they're like, I'm going to be the next Oprah Winfrey, mm. so I can't look bad on this show ever. <laughs> and what starts happening is is they, in trying to give you the version of themselves, it's so unnatural on camera. 
And then that gets complicated when you're editing the show down. Like a huge chunk of what we do is just plain old time compression. Mm-hmm. And when you, know, when you hear somebody talk about how they look bad on a show, oh, like they made me look bad, they made me look bad. If I have two fights with you in a month and you see both of them happen in a half an hour span, right. people are going to think you're an angry lunatic. Right. But it's the most amplified material, and that's what you're trying to get into the show. Yeah. yeah. And that goes for you know fights, joy, anything physical, anything that you think is going to be super relatable. Yeah. It's an amp. It's such an amplified version. It's like a really nice you know when you're cooking like a reduction. Yeah. That I mean you bring up something really interesting there because one of the core components of increasing conflict in a story mm-hmm. is to compress space or time. Right. Which you know compressing time just like you said you guys are in the business of time compression bringing these stories down to you know the two fights within right. thirty seconds of each other. But also, so much of reality television is based on the compression of space, putting all these people in a house together, yeah. you know, putting all these people on an island together. A lot of, of the conflict arises just because if you put people into close proximity, they're going to bump up against each other, right? Right. And, and I think that the, the flip side of that is that you need to give them enough room to breathe so that the same characters don't appear in literally every scene of the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you, go. you need to get away from anybody even the favorite characters you, you know you, you can't have an, a, a show that it's just them yeah yeah mm-hmm. well and in the same vein do you do you you know with the character on the show who's kind of the person we love to hate or the bad mm-hmm. person you know um i mean can you just let that person be that the whole time do we ever have to kind of flesh that person out and show them from multiple angles or i'm a big fan of redeeming your villains mm-hmm. once in a while mm-hmm. and people naturally do that i mm-hmm. mean there isn't anybody that can just be horrible 24 hours a day 7 days a week mm-hmm. um and i'll give you a really funny example although it, i mean it, it, i'm not sure how accurate it really is um if you have i don't know if you've seen a show on bravo called flipping out I have not. Okay, have not. it's yeah. it's it's still one of the, my favorite things that I've ever done. I only did the first season with them. There's a, a gentleman who flips houses. Um, his name is Jeff Lewis, and one of the important character things that you need to know about him is that he has OCD, and it complicates things sometimes because the staff has to sort of figure out how to put up with, you know, the occasional outbursts and the things that you know he's very he has a very specific idea of how he wants things to happen, and if there's a variable. It's difficult for him. Well, when we were cutting the show, the very first episode, um, one of the scenes that I, I was just in love with it is he went to see a therapist and he they had him lie down on a table and basically scream into this little Navajo blanket, <laughs> just like, just let all, just let everything out. And, he's, and you hear him mumbling like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then he finally, ah, that's the end of that. That's the end of that first episode. I think understanding that it's just it's like people that want people that want to um, you're very often getting notes to amplify character and have a person be going in one direction, going in one direction, one direction. And if you don't let a little bit of that air out of them every once in a while, they stop becoming identifiable. Mm-hmm. If you want to go into, you know, film, you have characters that are like you'll have like the overbearing sister that's demanding that her sister get married and get her head out of the clouds and do all this other stuff. There will always be the scene where the sister kind of half melts down, mm-hmm. you know, and tells her terrible story. And then you realize why she's doing it. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the, boom, that third dimension yeah. you know, that you were waiting for to show yeah. up. You need that in in reality shows. Yeah. And, you know, with, with flipping out, it's been around for, for years. Yeah. yeah. 
because the the team that does that, I mean, it, there's a reason the company that makes it is called Authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they they do a really nice job of making sure that you know you don't just get that one dimensional version of the character that they really are digging around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things that John and I um, struggle with in in teaching film, we're, we're we come primarily from the world of of narrative of scripted narrative. Uh, we see students and a lot of the writers just making a lot of the same common mistakes over and over and over again in terms of character development and story development. Uh, in the world of reality TV, as you're watching other shows and so on and so forth, are, are there certain pitfalls that you see certain reality TV producers and content creators, uh, pitfalls that they continue to fall into, some things that maybe people could avoid? <laughs> they do, but I think they're self-correcting. Okay. I think a lot of times uh, when they cast, they'll cast, you, you've heard, the term casting for conflict, where you're mm-hmm. putting people together that you don't think are going to get along. Mm-hmm. Um, great example, they had Tammy Faye Baker and Ron Jeremy on mm-hmm. a season yes. of, yeah, of The Surreal that. Life together, <laughs> um, thinking that they would butt heads on a lot of things, which of course they did. But then it sort of went on its own trajectory, and they behaved with each other in a way that you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. That, I think, was what the genius of that show was, mm-hmm. is when you're casting the real world, Mm-hmm. Like they've done for years. The, the real world, you can almost guess the archetype from the first minute you see the character. Like here's here's the kid that's the the uptight one. Here's the one that's the activist. Here's the one that's the artist. Here's the one that's this. And everybody kind of has their little label. By the end of that, by the end of a season, it all bleeds together into something else. Mm-hmm. Where you make mistakes is when you try to start enforcing the behavior that you're expecting mm. from people. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to when I say, you know, when the, when the producer's hand is too heavy, you know, my, jo- my job is, to, is to, to filter things out and to rearrange them into something that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's the best description of what my job is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, there are ways when you start interacting with characters and pushing them around a little bit, um, you don't leave room for the accidents that give you the authentic impression, mm. Mm. you know. And sometimes, you know, production schedules—it's no—it's no secret. Production schedules have gotten shorter over the years. You know, we have less resources to do shows because mm-hmm. they're very low risk. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, and stop me because I just—I'm like a waterfall. No, no, that's fine. It's, yeah, it's good. yeah. <laughs> but when you have shows like uh, when Mike Darnell in his heyday at Fox, and mm-hmm. you would, you would have shows like My Big Fat Obnoxious Fiance. And all these other things, reality shows are so much cheaper to do than scripted shows that if a show does really well, maybe you'll renew it or maybe you'll just say, all right, that was a great experiment. Let's go do something else and something different. Mm -hmm. And he would just churn out shows like crazy. I mean, there was so much stuff that came through Fox Mm -hmm. in those years. Um, One thing I think that's um, interesting uh, about those those shows, though, is – the number of people that end up tuning into those shows, the number of right. people that that love those shows just as much as a scripted show, that in many ways love it in the same way they love a scripted show. They love those characters. They sure. love those storylines. And so I think it's really interesting in many ways that reality you know, television um, is in some ways mirroring the sort of storytelling that's been around for you know years and years and years. Well, yeah. So, can, can you talk a little bit about what makes a good reality show? Why why do some succeed more than others? What stories are better than others in reality TV? Well, there are there are a couple of things. Like I said earlier, story is story and story is written. Um, I think if you have something that feels like a regular structure, where there's an A and a B story in an episode, and it builds up, and there's a cliffhanger that's going to bring you back to the next week. 
you've done the exact same thing that they've been doing since I was watching Dallas. <laughs> you know, was, it's like you are mirroring a formula that works, and that is why your show is working. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of shows uh, that I won't call any of them out because, um, you know, I have friends that work on those of things. Course. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, but a number of them, are, are I call it being cut for noise, yeah. mm-hmm. is it's a series of very loud events with people behaving badly, mm-hmm. and they do have a particular audience, and some of them do very well. But I don't think that there's something that you'll watch that same episode over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. They're great for exploding into little clips so that they can monetize them on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just, you know, if there's no solid story direction to the show, I just don't think there's any staying power to the to the episode as a as a full thing. Mm-hmm. That's why they don't repeat a lot of reality shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting aspect to me of, of reality television is you, you know, a, a show like um, uh, Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, they'll go on for five seasons, you know, with a show like that. Um, you know, the only way the real world keeps working is if you change the cast out every, you know, right. time or, or start, even if you bring cast members back, you got to put them with other cast members we haven't seen them with, you know, before. Right. So, um, you know, what what sorts of challenges, you know, do you run into? And, and can, I, can I ask, are there story producers in reality television? Are there people, are there people that are kind of monitoring where the overall season is Absolutely. going? Absolutely. Um, my career, the bulk of it, is spent in post with heavy interaction with the field as things are in production. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just inheriting it. I'm getting things back and saying, like, it would be really great if we could pick up a scene where X, Y, and Z happens because mm-hmm. we're going from A to C and we can't – we don't yeah. see B. We miss the motivation. Yeah. You know, it happened at 3 o'clock in the morning when we were all asleep at the hotel and somebody called somebody and said, listen, knock this, knock it off. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, this happens to me occasionally. The monorail goes off the rails and into the shrubs. <laughs> so be kind of never to set me back to on the rails. Never happens that, to us. That's quite all right. Yeah. I, I'm curious, you know, do, do what does a story producer do in reality television? How, how are they the storyteller? Because it seems like a lot of the storytelling in reality television happens in post where your editors and these story producers really need to understand storytelling. Right. Um, well, in the in the field, the really great story producers in the field that are there monitoring the action and sort of prodding things along and doing all of the interview questions and things like that, um, they're looking for certain things uh, that I need, which is I there is no story that is a single beat. Uh-huh. I need to know it, that something's coming, that something happened, and whatever the fallout is. Uh-huh. And that there's lots and lots of what I call forecasting, mm-hmm. which is sort of like I want to know how this event is going to affect how people interact with each other for the rest of the run of the series. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. now I can't trust her with anything. Yeah. And you know that's going to echo yeah. down the line. So they're looking for that in the field. What I'm looking for in post is just, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm able to tell a story that's coherent. Yeah. You know, and we have certain crutches in reality TV that you don't have. Inscripted, which if you have a show, you know, every act should end with something that's going to bring you back after the act. And if you have a kind of a soft act out, in reality TV, you've got bumpers. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to take the screaming match from Act 6 uh-huh. and play a little clip of it for you at the end of Act 2. So you're going to go, ooh, that's coming. And then, <laughs> right. and then you'll come back. Um, I make it sound like conflict is all people punching each other in the face. Yeah. It, it, is, it is not, um, which is another thing that reality television, I think, is getting better at. Um, people versus situations, to me, 
is just as interesting to me as people versus people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so yeah. conflict comes out of character, basically. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and um, you know, if you if you reality TV, a lot of it, people always say, you know, stop making stupid people famous. <laughs> stop making stupid people famous. There's a lot of very smart people, you know, in reality television as far as the reality stars, and there are also those who are a little bit. You know, more of the empty vessel, sort of waiting, <laughs> waiting to be told what to do, and then they're disappointed because they've chipped a nail. <laughs> but uh, both types of people are interesting, yeah. and and having that little bit of diversity, I think, just helps things along too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, one of the things, uh, Jeremy, you talk about in our book that I, I would love to maybe explain it for folks uh, mm-hmm. who haven't read our book, and uh, then I would love to to get your response. That the idea that. Story in a great sense is about setups and payoffs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one thing that I uh, really try to drive home with our students. And one of the things that it sounds like you, you run into that with the phone call in the middle of the night that you missed. Right. Uh, a lot of times our writers, uh, the scripts that I read, it's they'll have one or the other. They'll have a great setup, you know, mm-hmm. but they didn't pay it off. Or there's this great payoff and they don't understand why it isn't working uh, because right. they didn't set it up properly. Um, so, so, yeah, how to talk about setups well, and payoffs in, well, in reality we, TV. As far as setups and payoffs go, I will tell you one of the great commonalities with, with reality and scripted is you get so familiar with something you're working on mm-hmm. that if you take out a support here or there, mm-hmm. you don't notice it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then somebody else reads it and goes, I don't understand how you got from here to here. It's like, oh, you know, I forgot. Yeah. We got to have that yeah. scene that does <laughs> this or that. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's definitely uh, the same. Do you yeah. do you feel like sometimes you guys have a great setup for something and that there may not have been a payoff and that's when the story producer maybe prompts a payoff? Or? Well, I can tell you, there's a there's a certain show, uh, <laughs> there's a certain show uh, with a bunch of comedians that live in the house together. I'm sure you'll be able to put it together. <laughs> uh, that I, I I had done an interview for my podcast uh, and one of the guys that was on the show uh, was telling me he says you know that. He says, you know, comedians are all basically cynics. They're all just sort of like, uh huh, this mm-hmm. is very laid back acceptance of whatever's going to happen. And you have to kind of tell them, like, look, guys, this is a big deal. Like, you have to get excited about this. And there's a lot of times in a reality show where you have to do that big pep talk, like, look, this is really important. Like, people have been following this for like six weeks. So when you guys have a conversation about it, I mean, really react to each other. Don't push it down. Don't try to <laughs> play it cool because, you know, if people at home will be like, why aren't they excited about that? <laughs> You know, and again, it's just that thing where, you know, a lot of what we do is that little bit of nudging. Yeah. But ideally, like, oh, my gosh, you can't tell somebody how to react to something. Like, if yeah. you're going to be furious and you're going to say this and you're going to stomp off and yeah. maybe you could flip a table on the way out because <laughs> that always makes for a good clip on the soup. Which right. I'm so sad we don't have the soup anymore. <laughs> we used to live for that. Well, let's let's uh, get into your book a little bit. Um, sure. What, uh, you know, at what point did you, you know, recognize... Um, I know enough about this to, you know, fill a book or, or that right. I have things that should go in a book. Um, right. That, yeah. I'm just, I'm an overly serious person. Yeah. I take everything very seriously. It's just, it's just the academic <laughs> approach to everything. <laughs> sort of like boring people to tears. Like, we need to have this happen here and this happen here. Um, but what really happened was I, I was in a bookstore uh, and there was another book on reality television that had been written by, and I'm not bad mouthing the book, mm-hmm. um, written by someone who, you know, had been involved with reality television many years before, and it offered some advice in the book that was clearly not 
the best way to do something. Mm. And I believe I think it was I hit a passage about how if you can't get a meeting somewhere, here's how to figure out the email address for the president of the network. <laughs> or like some crazy thing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so then I went looking for other books on reality TV and there's, you know, ninety five books on screenwriting and the journey of the Yes. The journey yes. of the courier <laughs> font warrior. <laughs> Uh, and I just didn't see anything else on reality. And I thought, well, you know, I've been doing it long enough that maybe I could do it. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's not that I had any, you know, any sense of I'm better at it than anybody else. But it's just like I've done this and no one's talking about it. Yeah. And the big thing that was bothering me was uh, wasn't hearing from people talking about it in an academic setting. Mm-hmm. Is how do you go to film school mm-hmm. and talk about film and television and not discuss the the story technique and the production techniques? For something that at that time was occupying 61% of what was on the air. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I got in touch with um, a friend of mine had come to town, a guy named Rick Veers, who wrote the Sound Effects Bible. Uh-huh. Uh, I had been a classmate of his in film school, and we were talking about his success. He introduced me to his publisher, Michael Weesey, and we were off to the races with this book. Uh-huh. The, the problem with the book was that I, when I started, I was like, yeah, I'd like to write a book on reality TV process. And then I realized there are about umpteen different types of shows and different ways to come at things. Yeah. So that was probably the toughest year I've ever had, trying to figure out how to cram that into 50,000 words. <laughs> well, well um, tell us a little bit, you know, give us give us one of your, the nuggets you're most proud of, you know, in the book, something that, uh, you know, one of the points you made or one of the stories you tell or something that you think is is really uh, one of the, the, the important things you have to say in the book. Well, I think one of the things that, it, was really important to me to get across is that things are outlined, but there's always flexibility to your outline is you always shoot with an agenda, hoping to get X, Y, or Z. And if you end up getting a, B and C instead of X, Y, and Z, you just roll with it and you just keep modifying those outlines over and over again, all the way through post, Mm -hmm. you know, just like when you're doing a screenplay and you're carting everything out, you know, we do the we do the same thing in post. I don't know why I hate cards. I always do it in an Excel spreadsheet, and then the the, the team decides they'd rather do it on cards again. <laughs> so I'm flexible enough. I go back to cards. But it's all the same. We just you know shuffle things around and you know try to figure out how to make sense of things, and that it's okay that if things are are non sequential. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can take a month and make it look like a very active day. Yeah. 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 And it's okay. It's just it's all part of that process. Yeah. As Kevin Thomas used to tell me on Fear, he says, you know, it's you're writing with refrigerator magnets. Mm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I know that uh, when reality TV first started to become really big, uh, sort of in the late '90s, um, there was a lot of uh, a lot of people sort of decrying it, saying, you know, it's just gonna it's just a flash in the pan. It's just gonna be here right. for a little bit. Well, here we are, you know, 15, 16 years later, and we still have reality TV. Um, do you think that the medium of reality TV has reached its full potential? Is there still more that reality TV can do? Um, is there is there a dream project, something that you would really like to see reality TV do that it hasn't yet accomplished? <laughs> Show me someone over the age of 25. <laughs> um, no, I, th- I think that uh, reality has a long way to go still. Um, you know, reality TV theoretically has been around since 1948. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about, you know, Candid Camera. and mm-hmm. Yeah. You've gone from Candid Camera to now Prank Academy on YouTube Red. <laughs> and it's the same principles with slight variations in the, you know, in the, the production, the flavor of what's what's going on. But it's the same stuff. You know, we're still evolving and figure out what the most effective and efficient ways to tell stories are. 
And it's nice that we have the number of mutations that we've had because that just illustrates to me that there's always going to be some other way to come at the story. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see things that are scripted, you have, you know, a, a show and then a knockoff of that show and the movie of the week that's loosely based on the concept of that show. <laughs> and it, it just sort of rolls on and on and on and on. And there's always going to be procedurals and there's always going to be this. In reality television, you know, I, I think it's interesting that in the last few years, the occupational show has blown up into such a big thing that it's about teams in the workplace, which is the same as a family outside of the workplace. You know, we're still learning as we go, but the fundamentals of story, mm-hmm. you know, we have a lot to fish around with. And as long as we can kind of cram it into the templates that work for story, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to continue to innovate within a box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. A lot of uh, my first job in Hollywood was in reality mm-hmm. TV. Uh, a lot of writers listen to this podcast, and a lot of writers who come to Hollywood know I, I can't just start writing. And a lot of uh, people get jobs at some level in Hollywood TV. For writers who you know move to Hollywood, don't know anyone. Um, do you have any advice for someone trying to get a job in reality television, even if it's as a PA, you know, or how, how do you get jobs in reality TV? <laughs> you hang out in bars. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, reality television is funny in that it's such an odd thing that you almost have to have that apprenticeship period. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to jump from having been a writer for scripted to reality television because a lot of it is really counterintuitive. There are a lot of guys who have done it and done it well. You know, Lamar Damon, great screenwriter, good friend of mine, has done a lot of scripted stuff, created, or sorry, created the TV series Bunheads, and now he's in reality. He goes back and forth. You know, he dates back to Buna Murray in the heyday of the real world. Um, a lot of people are able to, to jump that uh, without doing the apprenticeship period, but not as much anymore because the talent comes from the inside. You're a PA, you're on set. You know, you're maybe just taking notes for the story team. That was how I got in, was doing the the logging and transcription and interacting with the story team every day since I was coming in early and just saying, look, I found these three or four things that you might not have been following, but it's at least a good three-beat story. You have enough conversations with the story department while you're a PA in the office or a PA in the field, you'll eventually, you know, get into somebody's confidence and you'll be asked to to take another position and slowly move your way up that chain. I've uh, I have several you know friends who have been loggers and you know started as loggers, and my experience with those folks has been they showed up at the office in in filled out an application to become a logger and they a lot of them mm-hmm. were told we had someone quit last night can you start right now <laughs> yeah uh, in, in, I very rarely have even now more yeah. than a week or two as far as notice to start anywhere yeah mm. yeah. Because That's, it's such a it's such a seat of the pants thing yeah. that when they green light it, they would like to have it tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. All right. You know. Yeah. Well, uh, want to thank you so much for coming on to the show. Um, uh, Troy's book is called Reality TV: An Insider's Guide to TV's Hottest Market. It's available at uh, uh, Barnes and Noble. It's available on Amazon.com. It's available at MWP.com. Buy it there. Buy it there. Troy makes more money if you buy it there. Um, Troy, uh, people... At last, my beach house in Malibu. That's right. That's right. Uh, Troy, people that want to connect with you on social media, do you have any sort of web presence or social media? Sure. I have a a blog uh, called realitytvbook.com. 
uh, that I post various you know takes on the industry as well as you know instructional things, pro tips, stuff like that. And uh, there's con- you can always contact me there. I answer emails every Saturday from six a.m. to noon. All right. <laughs> so uh, realitytvblog.com. Yeah. Com. Realitytvbook.com. Go check it out and interact with Troy. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Troy. Oh, my pleasure, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This has been great. So uh, this is the Inside Out story. Jeremy and I will be back uh, next time talking about some uh, deeper elements of story time. But until then, keep telling stories. This is the Inside Out story podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. For more information on the story, the host of the show, upcoming speaking engagements and seminars, visit our website at theinsideoutstory.com. The Inside Out Story podcast is a production of Sideshow Media Group.